Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Change on the Run podcast, where we discuss common change challenges and ways to address them when you're short of time. And I'm your host, Phil Buckley. Today's topic is motivating people to care. It's not surprising that many people view new company initiatives as either more work or irrelevant to their success. Most have too many things to accomplish given the resources available, whether it's time, influence, people, or money. Without making a personal connection, the change often represents just more work to do. So how do you get people to care about a change initiative so they are personally committed to its success? And my guest today is Graham Christie. Graham, welcome to the show. Thanks, Phil. Great to be with you. Thanks for being here. Graham is the co-author of Changing the Game, the playbook for leading business transformation, just released through Wiley International. Graham has 30 years of business experience in the UK and now Australia around transformation, customer strategy experience in B2C and B2B technology, media, and telecoms. He is the co-founder of CTG Co., an ad tech startup focusing on upskilling executives through highly focused, highly actionable short courses. So Graham, what's been your experience with motivating people to care? Uh, It's a great question to uh, kick off with, Phil. I think the thing about people, strangely, is they're individuals. And what that means is that one message can be interpreted in a whole host of different ways, very differently, and one tone can really miss the mark. So practically speaking, if leaders are expecting teams to go on a journey with them, they need to really work hard at understanding how those teams and those individuals think and actually also how they hear. The notion of and the task of motivating people to care is absolutely critical within any transformation or change, as, as you know. Individuals need to be bought into the why fully and throughout the, the program. And if they don't understand why they should care, they're very unlikely to be executing and supporting the how particularly well. So, you know, motivating people to care is something which, as a subject matter, permeates the book Changing the Game almost throughout each of the chapters. It's in the chapter around taking stock, it's around creating a mandate. If I follow it through, mapping the journey, then mobilizing, then executing and tracking. Those are the chapters of the book. And this subject comes up time and time again because it's absolutely vital. It's interesting because on different change initiatives or transformations, depending on whether it's the culture of the project management team or the organization, there's a great focus on leaders or there's a great focus on middle managers or, or maybe it's the people that are closest to customer facing. But I, I found it really interesting in your book that in the foreword by David Thody, he mentions that transformation requires not only top executives, but leaders at all levels of an organization with the skill and fortitude to push the boundaries boundaries and find new and better ways to operate. It was so well said, and I was delighted to see it in your foreword, because I think often organizations don't give equal emphasis to everybody in the organization that ultimately will make it successful or not. Why do you think that's the case? The benefits of the organization are profound if people have a decent degree of caring about what's happening to them and around them and to the business more broadly. So the organization, folks will 
view transformation and change either as a threat or as an opportunity. And many see it more as a threat than an opportunity, let's be blunt. So if they care, they're better vested in the outcome. Um, they're, They're better positioned to comprehend the process that they are participating in or in fact actively supporting as a as a leader in some capacity so it benefits the organization and also it benefits them at a very basic level because they will be more likely to not feel as if they're operating in some sort of vacuum or they're resisting an indomitable force if that's the word that they're they're better placed to align their own personal interests to the interests of the business and its transformation even if you can get partial alignment, partial alignment is better than nothing. Obviously, we want good, active, intentional participation and people caring about the process, but even partial interest is actually a win, I think. I think it is also a rare point, too, that we want everyone to be 100% in, and, and that's not necessarily realistic or practical given everything that's going on in people's lives, especially over the last 15 months. And partial is better than nothing is so true. And you talked to it originally about it's more of a threat often. They don't care. How do you flip that coin and make it more of, as you mentioned, that connection to my personal benefits beyond the organizational ones? That's really the nut to crack, isn't it? Because in the end, the threat that some individuals may feel is one of job security. Uh, in some way, shape or form. And that is, of course, is goes to the heart of people's livelihoods and their families, and it becomes very personal very quickly. So I think that a good starting place to understand how to best connect with people on a meaningful level that helps build a platform for honest and authentic conversations, if I use that language, is to be in that setup phase in the very early stages around a change or transformation process and this would be around what we would call the take stock or create the mandate type phase is the top team and whoever's leading the transformation building a narrative which is based on fact and based on honesty about the situation the business is currently in and why it needs to change it's very difficult i think for most people to argue against logic and against facts and against realities and i think that where some businesses fall foul is they try and massage the narrative too greatly. It starts to become inauthentic and it starts to become less real at an individual level or at a team level. And folks need to understand how the business and its leaders are framing the challenge and what the benefits of coming out of that challenge are. Now, if some of the benefits of that challenge impact as they almost inevitably will, on the structure of the organization and how resources are best used, which comes down to people, then those people are best placed to understand why that decision or those decisions are taking place, the logic of those decisions. And that means that, again, this vacuum isn't created in terms of, I know that we're in a transformation process, and now you're telling me I'm having to apply for my job again, or there may be a redundancy of the role I'm in. It's avoiding that vacuum. And you can only avoid that vacuum by being really authentic around a narrative, sharing facts as they are, and mapping the destination very clearly so that people can see the difference of where the business is today and where it needs to go tomorrow. I wonder why the lack of transparency comes up so often. Why do you think Mm. that organizations fall in that trap? Because it, it tends to happen a lot. But if you ask it someone does. about another business, they'd say, well, no, why, why wouldn't you just be transparent? But when they do it yourself, 
it tends to go into a little bit more of a fantasy. What's going on? And especially at the beginning with, with your process of transformation, right up front, that's where the damage is done. Um, you're absolutely right. And at the end of the day, this is all company confidential. You know, sharing information with a broad workforce in a large business will carry with it a high degree of sensitivity from the C-suite and, and other leaders because of the information that's being shared. It can impact if it's leaked and, and falls into the wrong hands, you know, on share prices and just general difficulties in terms of then having to manage the fallout of what is intended to be blunt straightforward logic. So I think that's a reason why often language narrative, the why is so massaged and a veneer is put over it because of over caution. I, I, that's what I would call it. It's too great a sensitivity to that. And I think it's probably a failure of communication and just finding exactly the right way in which to tell a challenging story. The same story can be told in multitude of different ways. And in the end, the whole point of the transformation program, the whole point of the communication reaching out into a broader business is to turn the frown upside down and say, look, the future is promising and the business will stabilize and thrive. If we do these things, that's a, a very positive message to share. To answer your question, I think there's probably often too much sensitivity around being real with your teams. That's precisely exactly what you need to do. And mirroring external communications to what's being said internally, therefore, becomes quite a key piece so that the external environment is being managed as capably as the internal environment. And there's alignment there. There is a, a quote I want to share with you. It comes from Linda Ackerman Anderson, where she said, ultimately, people change from the inside out, which almost implies to me that you almost have to hit people one person at a time with something that resonates to them personally. Do you agree with that? And, and if so, any thoughts of how you accomplish that with an organization with the multitude of individuals? I do agree with that quote. We all know that when it comes down to it, we're all wired to self-interest. You know, that, that at the end of the day, uh, we can play, you know, a contract with an employer is just that. It's an agreement to work together over a, either a set period or a, certainly a finite period to go on a journey to kick certain goals together. It's not an enduring marriage and we don't go to the grave with our employers typically. If you assume that's the case, that caring comes from inside and that the, the individual is going to first go to their own motivations and their own needs and their own goals, then it's a question of really understanding what those goals are. And actually the same person may have a range of different goals throughout their employment. You know, when they started with an employer, they may be seeking to have a tenure long enough to add two really great bullet points onto a resume. And that's their entire goal. It may be their first C-suite appointment and they're building up a profile there. Whatever those goals are, it could be they want to take on an investment property. And so it's about making sure they hit bonus uh, every year if, there's, if they're highly incentivized to do that. What that requires, therefore, is the leaders in the transformation to build the capability to understand what the, if I use left brain and right brain, needs are of individuals in teams to really understand that there's going to be a hierarchy of shared interest and then to understand what those shared interests are. And therefore, that understanding plays a, a very significant role in bringing people on that journey because you're literally ticking their boxes. It's not easy to 
find that out. Just because you ask someone doesn't mean they're going to tell you the answer to that. But telling people it's okay to be self-interested. You don't have to just be fully focused on the company's, organization's goals. It's okay to be very focused on yours. And again, getting authentic and real around that is really important. And of course, at the end of the day, if you look at a business which has hundreds or thousands or even tens of thousands of employees in it, the motivations of self will, in the end, come down to probably half a dozen levers. It'll be about one or two or three or four things. The proportionality of those things is important. The folks that lead those specific teams, those divisions, need to understand what the proportionality is of that. And that all goes into the narrative that the transformation office or the leaders construct. Any thoughts that you could share to the listeners on how do you make that emotional connection with individuals or teams? From your experience, how do you make that connection so people are motivated to care? Any thoughts on that? Michael Bullings and I, when we were writing the book, were very clear reading the, the current business environment. And I don't, I don't see the current business environment. That is an environment where even before the pandemic, businesses were having to accelerate the rate of change, the rate of transformation, the amount of adaptation, maybe the focus on innovation, all those things were accelerating anyway before the pandemic. And of course, the pandemic has forced businesses to accelerate that. And I think there's a quote saying, well, we've had a decade's worth of disruption in 18 months in many sectors. What that means is that Mars will be changing at a rapid rate, consumer sentiments changing at a rapid rate. Therefore, the skill to participate and to lead transformation change is something which has gone up the pecking order of importance to employers. We'll be looking for people that have experience in change, that have led change and transformation. And therefore, I think that provides an opportunity to connect with people, not on the analytical side, but on the other side of the brain, because outside of the practical requirements for earning money, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of individuals really want to have achievements they're proud of. They want to be able to talk to achievements. They want to be able to share their role in positive outcomes. And they are also looking for recognition. So those achievements and recognition, I think, really play very positively into a transformation program narrative because that program is aimed the way it should be. It should be delivering quick wins right at the outset and have enduring benefit to the business through milestones. And so there's jobs to be done. There's achievements to be made. There's outcomes to be reached. And I think that talks to individuals' self-worth, their own self-esteem, dare I say their own ego. And again, in a way that also plays back into their future employability. If they can be involved in something that gives them a narrative to talk about that increases their employability, for future or within the organization or even outside, then I think that taps into that side of the brain. Given the experience that you've seen over the last 15 months, and there's been so much written about how people have reconsidered their contractual relationship with their employer and whether it's working from home or, or whatever. And do you think mm. people are thinking differently about work now? And if so, how does that link into making that connection with people but potentially the people we're making a connection with now are slightly altered than the ones we were doing so 15 months ago. I think for many people, the contract will have changed or will continue to change. I think what that means is in some ways that folks that work in organizations will see themselves more likely as a product, if you like. I don't, that's a strange analogy, but they're not an employee that less of an employee that is tasked with doing what they're told to do 
and more of a here's my current skill sets, here's how those skill sets can be deployed. Obviously, we know we're moving towards, in some sectors, more of a gig economy anyway. I think the pandemic has increased, statistically, I gather, has increased the reduction in full-time employees to more contingent or more fly-in, fly-out leaders to help with specific tasks at specific times. And so what that really does is it productizes the workforce. It, it turns employees into folks that have a skill set that are sitting on the bench and they can be called upon. That's not the case for every business, obviously, and every employee. But I think, that generally speaking, what I think the pandemic will do is elevate the requirement for individuals to look at what their product is, what their proposition is, what skill sets they can deliver, and be able to sell that in to their current employer better or package it up in a more attractive way to a future employer. And by the way, I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Anything real about where you fit into the value chain, so to speak, and being honest with yourself about that is, is really critical. And having expertise and knowledge in change and transformation, particularly as a leader, but also as an active and willing participant, will be increasingly seen as a business critical skill to have because managing a changing environment is now where we are. And business will always be in that state, I think, going forward. And it's an interesting time because as individuals are considering where their spot is and what they have to offer, organizations are, are doing it the same. And there's a lot of discussion about the culture of the organization or how cultures will have to change. I'd love your perspective on in engaging people and motivating them to care, how does that task of getting people to care about the changes that they're undergoing, how does it differ when the culture differs, whether it could be more autocratic or, or more egalitarian, or does culture matter that much in, in how you get people to make that connection? A great question. I think you know, culture does matter incredibly. And I think anecdotally, one of the things that's been happening over the last 18 months is that a lot of organizations are taking the opportunity, perhaps they've been forced to take the opportunity to reset company culture and values. That part of this shift in the workforce sentiment, which is what we've been talking about, and a large contingent of a workforce perhaps not being in the cultural headquarters, i.e. the office of a business, has forced a reset around culture because those employers are wanting to retain talent, they're they're needing to become a magnet for great talent. And if there isn't a positive culture, that's often one of the first things that folks cite as a reason for looking elsewhere. So yes, you're right. Organizations have all sorts of different prevailing cultures. And that has to be recognized that often that's dictated by the leadership of the business, um, often the CEO, him or herself, and permeates down. Connecting with people, if you're in an autocratic, more sort of dictatorial business, requires a change itself, right? It means that there has to be an understanding that that is going to appeal to probably the minority of folk that work in that organization. And a reset around that would play an important role in an overall business transformation. That aside, if that felt to be, well, actually, hold on, that we are who we are, our organism behaves like this and acts like this and sounds like this, then there are at least two ways that, you know, tonally, we talk about in, uh, in Map the Journey chapter about how that story can be told, how that information can be shared. And that's through 
either positive emotion or negative emotion. Positive emotion, for instance, defining the aspiration, which is really critical uh, in any transformation or change. And the possibilities, it talks about morale boosting, it talks about kicking out legacy thinking. So it's all about, it's glass half full. But negative emotion, which may be more of a, an area that might be more comfortable to <laughs> dictatorial businesses, may work also to a degree, because negative emotion is about being really clear and emphasizing the deficiencies in the business. It's about the seriousness of the situation, the need for turnaround. But there's a sternness to that style of communication. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with using it within a change or transformation program. It can work very well. Certainly, wholesale changes in tone that seem to be at odds with the culture would be considered a massive own goal. There's no point pretending you're something you're not. But I think between positive emotions or negative emotions, and there can be a blend of that as well on the way through, there's no reason to hitch a ride on in one car and, and never get off. You can shift the weight between one and the other. There's ample opportunity and territory to connect with people uh, depending on your prevailing culture. What does the role of participation play? Some transformations, the project management group, it's like, we'll take care of it. We'll just tell you what to do. And other ones are more empowering mm -hmm. where it says, hey, we want you to come in and co-create and we'll shape the yeah. execution. What's your perspective on that? How important is people act feeling like they co-created the future that is the winning future? They've got to own a little bit of it, even if it's relatively light touch. It's vitally important that the maximum amount of, of folk in the organization, when I say the maximum, really every single individual needs to feel as if they are part of the process. So we very fervently believe that that is a defining element to success in transformation or not. The, of course, there needs to be a centralized transformation office or something similar. We talk about mobilizing a top team in the book and the importance of that, how you go about doing that. There has to be a, a central governing entity that is orchestrating the program. And by the way, time should be taken to construct that team and make sure that team is representative of, of, of all the business, right down into the trenches, if I use that analogy, right? There needs to be a voice of everybody in the business. But that aside, uh, success, I think, can only become at the result of taking everybody with you. And that can mean, obviously, a whole myriad of different things to different people. And there are obviously many layers of responsibility within a large organization, let's say. But it's, again, understanding the what's in it for me, whether that's someone that they, in a leadership position in the business or someone who's very junior, they've got to be able to feel and understand that and also play back why they are on the bus. But whatever those items are, they've got to be able to play that back to their co-workers and up the line to their managers. And they've got to really feel it. Another thing of putting it is, and I wouldn't suggest this goes into comms as such, but really those needs fall into two buckets. They either fall into the bucket of fear or they fall into the bucket of greed. Right. Mm. So because that's kind of the base motivations that we all have. So I'm, I'm fearful of the future. Therefore, how do I manage it better? How do I position myself better? Or I'm really optimistic and greedy to leverage the opportunity of the future. How do I maximize my return on that? And that can often be a good place to start. Are there any watchouts just as organizations are going through transformations and trying to keep people engaged and empowered and connected? Any watchouts for leadership teams or project management teams? Well, I mean, I think getting set up for success from the very start is 
important. And the first cab off the rank, I think, that we talk about in the book is overcoming objections and barriers. So, you know, at the very outset, change is confronting for many, and there will be a degree of, of anxiety associated with it. So actually taking time to understand where those anxieties are from individuals at levels in the organization which are going to be vital if this transformation is going to be a success is important. Some of those barriers can be material. So that could be something within the way the business does what it does. It could be something in the supply chain. It could be very material. But often the bigger barriers or as big barriers are individuals. Let's be honest, there's folk that just say, well, that's not how we do it around here. We're going to keep on doing the way we've done it. And the task is to identify those folk and to take time to really understand the resistance, the why, why is that resistance there, and to find a way to overcome it. Because no point uh, embarking on a stage two or a stage three unless those barriers and objections have been moved out of the way. And as you know yourself, Phil, that those barriers, just because you move a whole set of barriers out of the way at the outset doesn't mean others just come into frame continually down the path. So the transformation office or whoever's leading that transformation uh, needs to be really well wired into the organization. But the governance around that transformation needs to be such that feedback from the field is accurate and constant. So that cadence of reporting and that cadence of information that's flowing in and out of the office is such that barriers, some may not be barriers per se, some might be more speed bumps, but whatever they are, they're, they're known about early and they're dealt with quickly and decisively uh, and not allowed to stifle or derail the, the overall program. So that takes quite a key individual or team of individuals that have to be very business-minded, clearly, but they also have to have quite a high degree of EQ because we're dealing with often with people that have a specific and entrenched way of thinking and they need to be persuaded for all the right reasons to come on board rather than to continue to be barrier. Oh, so true. And you talked about how much change is going on right now. And these days, the reality is that there's so many different initiatives going on at the same time. And just in the spirit of change on the run, if you were brought into a transformation and you could only do one thing that would give you 80% of the results and 20% of the time, if it was an issue about motivating people to care, let's say they, they just didn't care, what would you focus your time and attention on? What would be that one thing that you do for that organization? I would spend a good degree of time and a good degree of capital in listening, in going out into that business and listening. And whether that is event, um, but I would say probably more better if there's you know a series of workshops that may happen. This doesn't need to be in big businesses either. This could be in relatively you know, small, medium-sized businesses. Getting into a mode of listening, obviously framing a discussion, asking the right questions, setting up why this exercise is taking place and there's kind of obvious reasons why that would be prosecuted, but that would be the one thing I would do. Because again, if you don't know what's in the hearts and minds of the folks that you're wanting to take on the bus with you, then you're actually setting yourself up for failure right from the outset. And do you have either a watch out or a key point or a tip or a piece of advice just to leave the audience as we close off the show? One of the things which Michael Bollings and I have noticed along the way and made a point of talking about in the book is around, I think it's in the final chapter in execute and track, as I think will be obvious to those that maybe take an interest in looking at the book further is that 
we straddle the end-to-end of transformation stages. So we have five stages. And as I mentioned up front, it's all the way through from taking stock to executing and tracking. And the execute and track piece, I think, is often, it's not forgotten, but often a lot of emphasis is put on getting the wheels turning, getting the destination set. These are very important pieces. But the execute and track phase is obviously a very important stage. And in particular in bigger transformation programs, can be quite a while until that happens. So, you know, the gestation of the piece takes a, a little bit while to, to, to gather some speed. So two things, I think, to answer your question. For one is generate some quick wins right up front. And that's important even at the take stock stage because often delivering quick wins to the business can be a very big confidence booster. A confidence booster up the line to the C-suite and even the board and confidence boosting to the rest of the organization. It says, here's a team that is understanding how to get us moving, get us shifting. Secondly, there can also be a really practical need to realize some savings or generate some capital through quick wins. So sometimes, you know, quick wins are used to fund subsequent stages and never ever really stop delivering incremental benefits to the business and always talk to the business about those wins, celebrate those wins as they happen. But in the execute and track phase, which is the last phase where we're into transformation proper, is be mindful that often energy and enthusiasm can wane over time within a business for a program. It's not that the program becomes normalized because it is incremental to the business. And it's partly because it's incremental to what people's day jobs are often that it can sometimes over time move out to the periphery and therefore lose a little bit of momentum, a bit of headspace. And so within the execute track phase, we talk about the need to relentlessly communicate to refresh the narrative around why we're doing what we're doing and to be repeating how we're doing it to maintain that level of engagement, maintain that visibility and headspace. And that requires, like anything, really good governance, a really good cadence that works for everybody that's coming out of the transformation office. For some businesses, that might be daily. For some businesses, it might be weekly, others monthly. But whatever it is, is find the right tempo and maintain that communication right the way through. Because again, yeah, momentum can be lost and transformation can start to wobble in that phase. Excellent advice. Thanks for sharing both of them. And Graham, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Change on the Run podcast. I really appreciate you being here and then also sharing your experience. And just wondering, how can people get more information on your book? Where is it available? And then also have them in the show notes too. Well, firstly, it's been a great conversation. I really, really enjoyed it. Yes. So in terms of uh, changing the game, the book, probably the, the best place to go for more information on that is there's even a free chapter for those that are interested in, in accessing it is on ctgplaybook.com. Uh, that's uh, ctgplaybook.com. And there's uh, quite an expansive amount of resources to sort of understand exactly what the book's about. And I, and I think uh, the listeners will be interested in that. Personally, if folks want to connect with me, just uh, on LinkedIn is probably the best, best way, Graham Christie. And be great to carry on the conversation with you and the podcast listeners. Great. Thanks again, Graham. Really appreciate you being on the show. And thanks to everyone for listening. And I wish you all the best as you continue to lead change.